got a question for you this morning. Serious question. Now, I realize that not everybody that's here this morning worshiping with us is a Christian. And so if, if you would never call yourself a Christian, the first thing I want to do is say thank you for choosing to take time out of your very busy life to be here to hear what we believe. If you are a Christian, here's my question for you. Have you been changed since you became a believer in Jesus? Is there somehow or another that your life is different than what it was? It's a serious question. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, and by that I mean not somebody who goes to church once in a while, someone who's learned a little bit of the language, but someone who's accepted Jesus as their Savior and is living with Him as the Lord of their life. If you put yourself in that camp of people who believed you've confessed your sinfulness and you've accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, how are you different? How has that changed you? How has that understanding and who He is and what He's done, how has that changed you from the inside out? In in what way or ways are you a different person? The Bible talks about us as being a new creation. That we become a new creation. That matters Because when we become a Christian, we should see and recognize and notice a difference in ourselves. The world around us is carefully watching who we are and what we do. They should see a change in us when we become a Christian. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to be done sinning. It means that we're going to be changed. We're going to be changed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. God transforms us, and we should see it. And the world around us should see it. We should not be like the world around us. See, one of the major reasons Paul wrote this book to the church in Colossae is there was something going on in that young church that wasn't right. There was some unnamed heresy, and we get an idea for what it was because Paul addresses it as we move forward in this book. He he gets to bits of it that he doesn't necessarily talk about to other churches, and so we can understand a little bit of what the heresy was. But it had gained a foothold in the church, and it was attacking Jesus. It was attacking Jesus' divinity, Him as the Messiah, His supremacy, Paul says. Paul's writing to a church that's being changed By the world around it. It doesn't seem that it's changing the world, but it's being changed. And as Christians, we should be instruments of godly change in the world around us. So this letter that we're looking at over the summer, it is of extreme importance to us. Because the world around you, the world around me, the world around our church wants to change us as well. It realizes that Jesus turns us into different people with different priorities and different attitudes. We face the the same multitude of heresies and lies and anti-biblical teaching and worldliness that, that this small young church is facing. It's an important book because it's talking to us. Paul wants to be sure that the the Christians in Colossae know and believe and live and act like Christians despite the pressure they've got now coming from the inside to do something very different and to be like the world around them. Paul, helping, Paul is helping the believers in Colossae truly to be the light in the darkness that surrounds them. He's helping to know and cling to the truth so that they can live for the truth. And if we never know what God's truth is, we don't stand a chance of living it. 
So if you've got your Bibles, join me. We're going to start in Colossians, first chapter, ninth verse. He says, so from the day we heard, heard what? Well, the news that Jeff talked about last week, this guy named Epaphras came to Paul and he said, we got a problem, man. There's stuff going on in our church that shouldn't be there. We don't know everything, but, but we know enough to know that some of this stuff is, is the wrong thing. It's dangerous. It's false teaching. And it's making its way into the church. So one of the things that we've got to stop and realize is one of the things that's so important in our churches is that our theology, that our teaching is of a godly origin, not of a human origin. Because the world around us wants to teach the politically correct human stuff of the moment. And sadly, more and more pastors and people who set themselves up as leaders in churches all over the world are teaching and preaching and promoting a message that is of their own design and belief, not God's. Now be clear, we're all sinners, every one of us. But we must preach God's Word in its entirety with nothing of our agenda added to it. In fact, Deuteronomy 4.2 says this, God Himself says, You should not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. The Bible gives us everything we need to know. might have other questions that go beyond it, but it gives us what we need to know. Paul goes on, he says, We've not ceased praying for you, Cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's got to be our prayer too. For us, for our spouses, our friends, the people that we work with, our communities, the folks that we go to church with, our nation and our world. Why? That we've got to pray that the people of this world hear the full truth of God's Word, not, not a watered-down polluted, worldly version that's easier to swallow. And that's not an easy thing to do all the time. But what ends up happening is then we become promoters of religious heresy, not preachers of God's truth. See, we've been entrusted as keepers of God's holy word, and we've been trusted and charged with the responsibility of sharing God's holy word. That's a high responsibility. This morning, it's been pretty cool. It's been a great weekend. We're, we're uh, blessed to be hosting some of the folks from Jesus Film. And there's a few of them here today. There was a bunch of them here yesterday. There was um, supporters of the ministry, people who wanted to know about, about, more about it here yesterday. And those folks know what it means to pray for the people of the world. They've devoted their working lives to reaching the people of the world with the good news of Jesus in their own heart language. They understand the privilege that they have and the awesome responsibility and maybe even most important, the urgent priority of getting God's Word in the most accurate way possible to the people of the world just like Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission. See, they understand the power in God's truth and in God's Word. And Paul is talking to this church in Colossae and he's saying to them, don't let go of the truth. Don't let all that other stuff get into your head. See, the thing is, though, we don't stop when we reach people with the love of Jesus. We also have to disciple them. And Paul talks about in wisdom and understanding as followers of Jesus. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to work uh, as a very, very tiny worker bee part of a Billy Graham crusade. And one of the things that impressed me is 
I had nothing to do with Billy Graham coming to town. Everything that they asked me to do had nothing to do with that great man coming to preach. The tiny little part that I played was working with churches in the area in order to be there and to be ready when George Beverly Shea came down to sing Just As I Am and Billy Graham invites the crowd to come forward. Say, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, come forward and do that. And the part that you don't see is that a whole lot of the people are there are folks who the Billy Graham group has brought into town weeks ahead of time to make sure that every one of those new believers has a church to get connected to. They don't leave there until there was a place for them to go that fit who they were, that helped them to be shepherded and understand what it means to be a Christian. Because Billy Graham wanted everyone to know to grow in their wisdom and understanding. It's a wonderful thing when someone gives their life to Jesus, but the work doesn't end there. That's where becoming a disciple begins. And what an incredible lesson. I didn't get it at the time, but what an incredible lesson for me in in the responsibility that we have to welcome people into the Christian life. How to lead a church. And why did the Reverend Billy Graham put so much effort into that? Because he understood this next verse. Verse 10. Why do we want all the spiritual wisdom and understanding? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul knows that the only way to lock, knock lies out of the church is to fill people with the truth of God. Where do you get the truth of God? From the Bible. We've got to be careful about who else we listen to, what else we read. If it doesn't match up with Scripture, there's something wrong with it. It's only when we know the truth that we can help to live the truth. And Paul wants to see every one of us as followers of Jesus live a life worthy of the Lord by being fully pleasing to Him. But what does that mean? That seems like an impossible thing. It means that we live for Jesus. When we become a Christian, we take on a new name. We become a Christ follower. doesn't mean that we're going to live a perfect life. It means that our life will be lived as a disciple of a perfect Jesus. The fruit we bear, as Paul says, is the outward evidence of God's Holy Spirit living in us. The fruit of our lives isn't what we tell people about. The fruit of your life as a Christian isn't how you tell people that you've been changed all the time. The real fruit of your life as a Christian is how people see that you've been changed. They see in the things that you do and that you don't do, the, the words that you use and the words that you don't use, the habits that you have and the habits that you give up. As we grow in the knowledge of God, the fruit that we bear is evidence of that knowledge that's also growing. People should witness the new creation that we are in Jesus. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. See, we're not made strong by our own decisions or power or will. That isn't what's going to be enough to carry us through. True strength in us comes from the power of God at work in us. See, when we've got the power of God at work in us, when we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, we have the ability, not on our own, but through Him, to endure anything. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what the world might throw at us. We've got the power to endure it with patience. 
And yet it goes on and it adds one other thing because the, the Bible is clear that God wants us to have patience and we're going to have to endure some junk in the world. But the last two words of that verse are we do it with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. While we're prepared to endure everything with patience, we joyfully give thanks. If you're enduring something right now, do you feel like giving thanks for it? Most often we don't. We see the problem that's in front of us. God would tell us that we're enduring that and we should joyfully give thanks because it's preparing us for something that's going to come next. See, God isn't given us the privilege of sharing in the inheritance of other believers. And what is that inheritance? Salvation. It's eternal life. It's the free gift of salvation in Jesus and the promise of an eternity with the Creator. And and who are those other saints? The other saints of all of those people who have submitted control of their lives to God and that they now live for for Him, not for themselves. See, what really happens is when we give ourselves to Jesus, when we submit ourselves to Him, yes, we're still going to sin. That's why He died and rose again. But we go from being a sinner to being a saint. We go from being a person who has been captured by the darkness of this world to being a citizen of heaven. Verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of the darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Those two verses are at the very heart of what is the good news of the Gospel. There really is a power of darkness in the world. It's not meant to to scare us. But we've got to be honest about it. There really is an enemy of God who is at work in the world. The enemy of God, the power of darkness, feeds on human souls and the only thing that he offers in return is death. When we're not saved by the blood of Jesus, we are citizens of that kingdom of darkness. And that's when we see hopelessness. That's when we don't know joy. See, it's only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our our belief, our love for, and our living for Him, that we have our citizenship transferred to the kingdom of God. We don't rescue ourselves. You don't rescue each other. It's God at work in us who does the rescuing. It's Jesus who does for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's the forgiveness of our sins bought and paid for by Him, by Jesus. His death and resurrection that allows us to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's how we go from being a saint. It's how we go from becoming a sinner to becoming a saint. It isn't what we do. It's who we believe in. But here's the thing. Most of our churches, most of our pastors... Most of America spends all their time talking about the forgiveness of sins, and that's it. Don't talk much about sin. We talk about the forgiveness of sins, because that feels really good. And it's important. Jesus died that our sins would be forgiven. But that isn't the whole story of the gospel. Well, we don't talk about nearly enough. We don't, we don't talk about the cost of our sin. We don't talk about God's true feelings about our sin. And we don't do that because it doesn't make us feel good. Being forgiven, that makes us feel good. This very, very brief passage in Colossians 
says a mouthful about how we are to think, pray, live, and grow as Christians. In America, I think what we've done is we've kind of written a new gospel. And in our new gospel that we write as Christians, we say that God has wrath and punishment reserved for people. God gets really, really angry with some folks. And it's the people that are really, really bad. And we all know who they are. We get to point them out. We point out their sin and, and we decide that they're bad. They're the ones that God gets angry with. Well, i got some sobering news for you. God's righteous wrath isn't reserved just for the people that you and I think deserve it. God hates all sin. He hates theirs. He hates yours. And He hates mine. God takes our sin extremely personally. And our sin is really nothing less than an act of selfish rebellion on our part against God our Creator. And so we go to the cross. We look at the cross and we we have to understand that Jesus literally experienced the cost, the price, and the penalty of our sin so that we wouldn't be required to. It's not a footnote in history that we can afford to just listen to, have a little bit of an understanding, and move beyond. Jesus felt the full weight and the pain of our sin And He carried the pain that our sin causes because He became sin for us. How do you even say thank you for that? If you stop and look back on your whole life and you think of all the things, not just that you've done wrong and regret, but the things that have been sin that have gone against God's will for your life, that becomes a pretty big list. Jesus carried all that for you and for everyone else. How do we say thank you? If you really believe that you're a sinner and you really believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin, then how do we not live our lives for Him if only to say thank you? How do we not tell everybody that we know that Jesus rescued me from death? Jesus literally saved me from myself. Stubbornness, sinfulness, short-sightedness, selfishness. All versions of you and me that would do little more than drive us into an early grave. That is what God rescued us from. And instead now, the Bible says, we get to live this life for Him, knowing that we will live forever with Him. Why does that matter? It matters because the Bible makes it really clear. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to impress God. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to earn God's love or favor. Here's the newsflash, folks. God already loves you right now. Right in this moment. Instead of spending our lives earning a place in God's heart and and eternity in heaven, we are given this life to accept Jesus and share what we know and what we have with others. We get to share the truth of God. The truth of His love for us and and the gift that we are given, the free gift that we have in Jesus as our Savior. That is why we as a congregation believe in and support the work of the Jesus Film Project because they get it. They get how important that message is. They know the importance of getting the truth of Jesus out to the people of the world. And and you know the cool thing yesterday? And I heard this from so many people. So Jesus Film People, props to you. Here we go. I heard from so many people, those folks just don't stop smiling. 
I mean, they've been going for days. They've been going for hours. They just kind of, one, one person said, they just kind of ooze joy. You know, because it's Jesus living in them and they understand that they get to live their life in the greatest cause the world has ever known. They get to tell people like us, but they also get to be a part of a ministry that goes out into the world. And not tells just people who speak our language, but they're working to literally put the good news of Jesus in the language of everybody out there. Because it's that important. You know, the really awesome thing is that we've got a, a part. We've got a part in changing other people's lives and their eternity by, by doing nothing more than partnering with folks like Jesus Film Project and telling the people that you know why it is that you go to church on Sunday morning. Why it is that you believe in Jesus because there's truth in that place. We talk about one book every Sunday. We talk about the Bible. And some people say, well, my faith is private. My faith is very personal. <laughs> I, I grew up with that. It just isn't true. Biblically speaking, it isn't true. And, and here's how I know that. Because I grew up as one of you, and here's the deal. If you found a new restaurant and none of your friends knew about it, would you keep it private? No. No. See, that someone asked me yesterday, what's it like to come back to your hometown? I said, for me, it's great. For everybody else, not so good because I know how they think. If you found a new restaurant, I'll tell you exactly what you do. You know, on the drive home, you go, that food was really good. The service was great. It wasn't too expensive, and it's not very far to get to. We've got to tell people about this place. You're not going to go, we've got to keep it quiet because they might run out of food. You're going to tell everybody you know. And can I tell you why? Remember, I grew up as one of you. Here's why you're going to tell everybody. Because you want to be the one that brought them the good news. You want to be the one that goes, so-and-so told us about this place. Man, were they right. They know their food. I won't ask you for an amen, but can I get a nod from someone? Thank you. Here's the deal. Jesus is so much better than a good restaurant. But we keep them private. You know what? When you go to a restaurant that you love, you're not worried about whether or not someone else is going to like the food because you loved your food. If they don't, that's their problem. You know what? If they don't choose to believe in Jesus, that's not on you. You have the opportunity to tell them the good news of who He is and how much He loves them. But see, here's the difference. The stakes are so much higher. And the joy is eternal. You don't keep the good news of a new restaurant private. You tell everybody who you think would ever possibly care about it. Why in the world would we cling to a faith and call it private? Why would we keep Jesus to ourselves in a world full of people who are dying because they don't know Him? So let's go back to where we began. How have you been changed since you met Jesus? Maybe you don't know Jesus personally, and maybe the question that you need to ask yourself is, man, how do I know I need to be changed? What do I know about me could be so much different? In what ways are you a different person? I really hope that one of those ways is that now you're a Christian who wants to hear and to know and to grow and to live God's truth. I hope that you're a Christian who recognizes and, and begins to grasp and is grateful for how much Jesus has done for you. 
And finally, I, I, I hope that you become one of those Christians who says, yeah, we run into a new restaurant once in a while, but what I really can't wait is to tell my friends and family and the people that I work with about Jesus because he'll truly change their life. He'll really be the one that makes a difference. Not all fairness, you may never be the one that goes to a foreign country on a mission trip to tell people about Jesus, but you know what? You can pray and support people who do. What you can do is go to work and go to your school, go to your friends, go to your family. And all you have to do is tell them the truth of who Jesus is to you. You don't have to know the whole Bible. They don't. All you have to know is why you believe. Who were you before? How did you meet Jesus and who are you now? How have you been changed? You simply tell them the truth of who he is to you. And then you can join us as we support and as we send missionaries, as we partner with ministries like the Jesus Film Project. And we do things like that, not because they're easy, because they're not. We do them because they are absolutely vitally important so that the people of the world could know Jesus personally as well. And their life and their eternities can be changed. So I'm going to end with the same question I began with. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, how have you been changed? And if you haven't, please get to know Him better. Let's pray. God, thank You that as our Father, You sent Your Son to die for us. You sent Him to die for us because there's no way in the world that we can earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply a free gift for believing in Jesus, who He is and what He's done for us. My first prayer this morning, God, is that Your Holy Spirit would be at work here this morning, that to everyone in this room, to anyone and everyone in this room who doesn't know You personally, God, I just pray You would make Yourself real. The Holy Spirit would open hearts and that people would come to You, come home to You as their Heavenly Father. And then to everyone who does know you, who has taken on the name Christian, God, that we would live for you, that we would live in wisdom and understanding, that we would submit our lives to your will for our lives, and that we would not have a person or a private faith, but we would have a deeply personal faith that recognizes that the greatest thing that we have is the good news of Jesus in us, and that we want nothing more than to share that with the people around us. God, help us in this place to keep our preaching and our teaching pure. Help us through your Holy Spirit to keep out anything that the enemy would use to pollute or divide us. Help us to keep you as the center and the focus. And that any and all glory that might ever come out of this place would go straight to you, God. For it all comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last thing. I want you to think about something for a moment. For some of you, I need you to look in a mirror right now. But for some of you, I need to put somebody else's face in your mind. This whole idea of your faith being, being private, it just isn't going to fly around here. I'm warning you about that right now. In your mind, put the face of someone who you want to be in heaven. Someone who you're pretty sure doesn't know Jesus. And maybe what you need to do is look in the mirror, and that's an awesome thing if you're doing that. But put, your, put in your mind the face of someone who you're pretty sure doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying for that person. 
then I want you to start praying, and I want you to take this seriously, that God gives you an opportunity to share Jesus with that person. Not only will their eternity be changed forever, your life will be changed forever. The first time is scary. And then after that, it just gets awesome. Picture that person, pray for them, and ask God to give you an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with, Jesus with them.